Hey everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Ronjo Clements, Associate Pastor and Worship Leader at Great Commission Fellowship in Wilmer, Kentucky, joins the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast today. Ronjo is from Mumbai, India, is an Asbury Seminary alum, and is currently enrolled in a PhD program at the seminary. In today's conversation, we talk about Ronjo's story of calling, his heart for discipleship and worship, and his PhD program. Let's listen. Well, Ronjo, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Heidi, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. It is going to be fun because we got to know each other, it feels a couple years ago, but I feel Mm -hmm. like it may be a little bit longer. So I'm excited that we kind of get to reconnect today. It'll be, yeah, I I really enjoyed the stuff we've done in the past. And so this will be, this will be fun. Yeah, it will be. So I want to just jump right in, if that's okay, Mm -hmm. and talk a little bit about how you experienced your calling to be a pastor, because I was looking on your Facebook page, doing a little bit of research on you, and I saw that you studied economics and (laughs) commerce at Xavier's College in Mumbai, India. And so I was just curious how that all came about. Yeah. You know, that's that's a really good question. I, when I think about calling, I... You know, I'm not entirely sure that I'm called to be a pastor. That's, I mean, that's not true. I love being a pastor. But when I think about a calling, I I, um, I think about it more in terms of an invitation. And that's how it's played out in my life so far. I wouldn't say that I've been called to be a pastor. I've just ca- been called to different things. I've, or I've rather just been invited to different things. So I was, yeah, I studied business and economics. Um, and just to do a quick background, I was born in Mumbai, India, um, moved to the States when I was five. My parents came and um, were, were called um, into missions. And so they came to Asbury, they studied here. And then we moved back to India when I was 12 and we planted a church. And so I grew up in the church. I grew up in that um, lifestyle of following Jesus. There was never a question in my family um, who we followed. There was never really, I would say, a question in my mind about whether there was a God. I know mm-hmm. at 12, I had this moment where I realized, oh, I want to, I want to follow him. Uh And it was right before we moved back to India. And I think, I think as I, as I look back now, I think that I realized the gravity of what was about to happen. And, you know, I realized I needed him probably for the first time I needed something. I needed an anchor, you know? And Uh so that was kind of my first step. And then, you know, moving back, we experienced awesome things. We, Planning our church was so much fun. We experienced God move, um, awesome ministry, healing, that kind of stuff. So I was always just, I grew up with this awareness of who God was. And then I went to college. I really just wanted to make some money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's honest. a great reason. You know, it's like <laughs> business and economics just felt like the right move. Um, uh-huh. And I wanted to... I look back now, it was just pride, but I wanted to not be a burden to the church. You know, I, I, 
my lifestyle was one where I knew I would always want to um, serve God, but I thought, you know, let me make some money and uh, then, uh-huh. you know, just do, th- do something on the side or maybe just not what I would say back then was I don't want to be a burden to the church. Yeah. Um, and then I, by my second, I think this was, yeah, after my second year, after my sophomore year, I was at home um, during the summer and our worship pastor had just, um, he was, he had just left. He was planning a church with us. And my mom, who was leading worship to fill in, she was going to be traveling. She and my dad were coming back to the States for a month. And so they said, hey, Ranjo, why don't you lead worship for this month? And, mm. you know, I had really stayed away from <laughs> leadership roles or anything yeah. on stage. I, I just wasn't ready. I didn't feel uh, comfortable. I felt like I needed my life to be, I needed to have it together a little more yeah. than I did. No, I get it. Know? Yeah. And, but, you know, desperate times, my parents were just <laughs> like, just do this, you know? And so I said, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And um, it was just this experience where, God moved in me in powerful ways through that time. And I think I I stepped into my gifting. I had loved music. My parents, before we moved to the States to study, um, they were musicians. My dad conducted a choir that toured. Music had just been in our family. It was a big part of our culture and our church. I That's how I really connected with God. It, mm-hmm. you know, took things out of my mind and allowed me to just express myself and feel things. That's what music does. That's why we use it in church. It mm-hmm. allows us to express ourselves and to feel things and moves us in ways that we otherwise may not open ourselves up to. And all of that, you know, I, when I was leading, I kind of brought all of that into just submission to God and God moved in, in really powerful ways. I, he obviously in me, but I think for the whole church, we all realized like there was this shift happening. Like God was doing wow. something that was new and different. And it wasn't, I just be clear, it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. It was just that I happened to be, <laughs> um, <laughs> I happened to be there, you know? And yeah. um, I felt like in that moment, God said, all right, now Ranjo, you need to choose. You can do this. You can have yeah. this experience or you can go back to your old life and, you know, kind of meddle around in middle. And (laughs) like, for me, it wasn't even a choice. I needed that, that moment where all of us were just broken before God and he could do anything with his people, you know, like Mm -hmm. I've, I've been chasing that ever since. And that's, you know, led me, I um, finished school and thought I'd go into business and yeah, this, but you came, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, so that's where I was going with that. I thought I was, you know, I was applying to business schools and other programs. And um, at the same time, I'm leading worship. And I felt we were getting to a point in our church where, like, I joke about this, but it's kind of true. Indians, we love to party. We, <laughs> we love to have a good time. We love to sing. We love to dance. <laughs> and so, you know, in, in our worship, we could, <laughs> we could get, uh, we could get it going. Uh-huh. You know, we could, um, we could get the crowd going and have a good time. But it felt like we were hitting this wall where there was more. 
Mm-hmm. There was more that we could have. There was more that we wanted to say and express. And it was corporate. We all were, I was feeling it on behalf of our church. I think other people too were just like, oh, we don't know how to get to the next level. And there are people who did. Like my dad knew um, there are other pastors in church. I just didn't know yeah. in my media. Like how do how do I go further? And I felt like God said, you need to know me more mm. before you can lead people to me. Wow. So is that when you came to Asbury Seminary the first time then? Mm -hmm. Wow. I kind of said, okay, well, I guess, and that's why I joke and say, I don't know that I'm called to be a pastor. I didn't go to seminary to be a pastor. I went for the knowledge. I went for the learning and I I just assumed I'd come back after and, you know, maybe work with my, probably work with my dad, work with our church. Um, and so I came to to seminary and like the first year I felt like God asked me, well, would you go anywhere for me? Uh-huh. And I said, no, I will <laughs> go home to India. It took I love the lot. honesty though. <laughs> well, you know, it took a long time to relearn how to be Indian, you know, after being well, in the States as a kid. I, yeah. I was going <laughs> to so, ask that because mm-hmm. you are from India, but mm-hmm. you spent a lot of your formative years in the States and then going back to India and then coming back was, Mm -hmm. were all those transitions? I mean, how were they? Was it weird? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, um, but you know, that's, uh, that I think solidified if my, my calling more than anything else, you know, when I came to the States, like I was aware that I was different, you know, um, this Mm -hmm. is in the nineties, like, um, I wouldn't say Kentucky was as diverse a place as it is now. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> so, you know, I, I would always or regularly the only colored person in my class. Um, I looked different. I acted different. You know, the way I treated my parents. Um, I We had different food. I smelled different. You know, mm-hmm. all of it was different. And um, I would say the church was probably the place that I felt safest you know I just felt like yeah this is a place where I felt normal but I also Mm -hmm. knew like I I'm different because I'm not from here you know like Mm -hmm. we are all preparing to go back to India we always there was never a question about that and so um that was you know I was I was aware and it was okay and then when we moved back that was probably harder because you know, I went back to this place. I thought I'm going back to where I belong. Yeah, you're home. Yeah, where I'm going to fit in. And, you know, seven years later, when I came to the States, I spoke three languages. Like when I went home, I barely spoke English, you know, I, uh, (laughs) I, um, it was just a different environment. Um, academics, they were so hard. I mean, it's incredibly competitive. It's the British system. And so, I mean, I remember having, my parents were always on me to have good grades in the States. Um, and they would say, you know, when we go back, it's going to be really hard if you don't <laughs> work yeah. here. And uh, I mean, they were great, but um, I, I had uh, mostly A's, you know, and I went back yeah. and my first year I failed everything and failed the grade. Oh, like that had to be disheartening. Yeah, it <laughs> It was not great, but it was, I mean, built on the culture shock, built on the trend, like everything, Uh the school year is a different time period. Um, 
So like summers earlier, I was already late. The whole thing was just one big, um, crazy transition. And I, uh, you know, I, that happened, but another thing that happened was that just culturally I looked Indian and we didn't typically missionaries would go into like a space where, you know, they're around other missionaries, other expats or, you know, Mm -hmm. foreigners. I, you know, we were Indian. So I, we moved back to India into a suburb of mm-hmm. Mumbai. Um, all my friends, like I, or my family's friends, my cousins, they were all Indian, you know? Yeah. So it was just like complete immersion, which was beautiful. It really moved me along quicker, mm-hmm. but it was also, I would say harder to relearn the language and all that. And so yeah, I was, sure. people would qualify me as a coconut or that's, I think what people <laughs> thought about me there. It's like, you may look Indian, but you're not like, that's, yeah. not, that's not how you think. Yeah. That's not how you talk. And yeah, so, I, yeah. No, yeah. I was just going to say in not quite the same way, but I grew up a little bit. I grew up in Eastern Kentucky, but mm-hmm. my parents are not native to Eastern oh, Kentucky. Yeah. They're from Ohio and Indiana and then moved okay. down there mm-hmm. to work at a school down there, which is great. But I kind of struggle with, I'm from Eastern Kentucky, but real Eastern Kentuckians, I don't feel like I am <laughs> true Eastern Kentucky. So I don't, I've always felt like I kind of don't have a place mm-hmm. to belong, you mm-hmm. know? Like your third so, culture a little bit? A little bit, but like in a completely, not right. nearly to the extent that you're talking about, but a small, a yeah. small way. No, I think that's, I mean, that having lived now in Kentucky for the longest period of my life, like I totally understand the difference in mentality, <laughs> even in yeah. Wilmore, who we consider townies and who we yes. consider like people who belong and people who are visiting, you know, yeah. you could be here for 15 years and still be visiting or right. your parents are not from here. So that was, right. that was similar in India. And I, uh, again, the church just became a safe space for me. It was the only yeah. place where I was normal, where I knew what to do and I knew how to act. And I think it's because we had a culture or um, we had values and what we were doing was um, we shared that. Right. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we knew why we were here. We were here because of God and we had that in common. Yeah. And so that I, kind of formed the foundation for me since church was a safe place for me and a place I could kind of flourish, I've just always wanted to make that the same for everybody else. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, that that's really cool. It makes a lot of sense. So when you came back to the seminary, you said you had every intention of mm-hmm. staying, or mm-hmm. of going back, not staying. Um, you ended up staying, but you had every intention of going <laughs> back to India. Mm-hmm. How did you know that was the right step? So, you know, I, when I said no, um, uh-huh. you don't, when you're in a relationship with God, the beautiful thing is that he doesn't force us into anything. He always invites us. Right. Like I, yeah. I would say that I've not, I've not given up things just for God because it was always, I don't know, easy or just, I love suffering. I just think, that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. um, I just, experienced his presence and his Mm -hmm. like invitation into something new, which comes with his presence and his passion. And then, you know, you begin to long for that yourself. And so in this case, I, you know, God was just expanding my vision, my mind, and you don't really say no to God. You just 
he just kind of waits you out. Right. And, um, over the course of the year, like he just changed my heart. And after a year, I, uh, I was ready to say, okay, God, I will go, I'll go anywhere for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. So did you, did you meet your wife here? I did. So tell me that story. So that was great. (laughs) (laughs) She's the best thing that has ever happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, um, so we actually, the church that I'm the associate pastor at is called a GCF or a vineyard church. And we, it started in the nineties in Wilmore and our church in India planted out of it. So really, yeah, we were, I didn't know that. yeah, they planted a number of churches in the nineties and we were the second church plant. So we were really close to the original leadership and, um, by the time I'd come back, it'd been 12 years later. We were not really connected with UCF anymore, but I, you know, I went and I was at that point really looking to explore. I wasn't looking to plug in anywhere. You know, your first year in seminary, you want to see everything, you know, what mm-hmm. people do different. And so I, I went to GCF and, um, well, let me back up. I had a friend who was leading worship at GCF. He was an Indian dude too. And, he uh, he was he would always say, "Hey, why don't you come play bass? Why don't you come just you know um, help out with with this?" And I'd always say, "Like, oh, I don't I don't know. I'm not really looking to get involved right now." And once one Sunday, I went and I saw the most beautiful lady I'd ever seen. <laughs> 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 so, I love it. She she was singing and it was I mean her voice was as beautiful as the rest of her and I was just you know we're we're both Asian so I, we need a reason to talk like I couldn't just go up and say hi so I thought you know maybe I should volunteer. Maybe. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> yeah. So I I that's what I did. I got, I started playing on the worship team and um Two years later, and it really coincided with this like submission to God where I was finally like, God, I will go wherever you want. I hadn't even considered, um, I had liked her for, you know, two years, but I hadn't considered the possibility that we could be together because she was a vocal performance major at the college. She had a different trajectory than mine, which was going home to India. And then I realized, wait, if I can go anywhere, I'm just going wherever she's going. Oh, I love that. (laughs) That's right. I was going to make this happen. And so um, that's that's how we met. We went on our first date um, probably two years. It took two years after Uh volunteering at UCF. And um, it worked out really well. Ended up with a job, some kids, a life. So Yeah, you have four kids now? Is that right? Four beautiful girls. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Four girls. That's awesome. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, so after you and your wife met, you got married four kids later, um, you're pastoring. You decided to mm-hmm. return to Asbury for your PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about your PhD and why you decided to come back for more education. Yeah. Um, so again, I just felt like it was really an invitation from God. I... You know, being, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to, because I'm curious about, I love the word that the invitation um, mm-hmm. that God, like, 
I think of calling and you changed it to invitation. And Mm -hmm. I really love that. Um, So I kind of want to, like, I want to go back to this question, but I want to explore that a little bit more. Sure. Um, Do you think, like, how do you look at the invitation? Does it just come out of kind of the desires of our hearts that are ultimately the desires that God puts there? How does that, how do we know when we've been given that invitation? You know, I think, and this is my life, this is how it's happened for me. God will just begin to put a passion in my heart for something. And it maybe it's when it's an invitation from him, it tends to, you know, when you share God's heart, you feel his passion for something. And um, like you feel his hope for the situation, you feel his, um, his desire for, for change. And you want that yourself. And you, in my case, at least I've realized, well, this is not something I've wanted in the past. Mm -hmm. This is a change in my trajectory, even staying in Wilmore and pastoring all these years. um, When we graduated, um, we had every intention of still going overseas. My wife is, um, grew up in China. She's half Chinese. And so we just assumed we'd go back to Asia somewhere. Um, her parents have a ministry in China. Of course, mine are still, um, pastoring in India. So we thought, you know, well, let's go to Thailand. Let's go somewhere else, see what God's doing in the world. Eventually we assumed we'd end up, you know, somewhere there. Mm -hmm. But that last year, um, I felt like God was just putting this passion on my heart for our church here in Woolmore, GCF. Um, I was already part-time worship pastor, but he was, you know, giving me dreams. I was like just kind of crying out to God for uh, for change. And, you know, in every uh-huh. situ- situation, you often know what the issues are, but then it's different when you feel God's passion for that situation. And you mm. just want to be part of it because you feel his grace for that situation. You feel his presence in that situation. I think that's where calling comes in. And I just, mm-hmm. I the reason I say invitation is because in my experience, it's constantly changing and evolving. It's never just one thing. I think God gives us this step mm-hmm. because if he were to give us the whole picture, we probably wouldn't take that step, you know, mm-hmm. and he gives mm-hmm. us the step and that matures us into the person we have to be for the next thing he wants us to do. Yeah, And that's, that's how it was with, with that. And so with the church, that was the same thing. We were like, I think we need to stay for a minute. I think we need mm-hmm. to stay in pastor here and um, do what we feel like God's doing here. And you know, that, turned into like nine years this year. Yeah. Yeah. I love how often the, sometimes people say I was only Mm going to be somewhere temporarily Mm -hmm. and the temporarily turns into (laughs) 10 years and sometimes a lifetime, you know, because you're, you Mm -hmm. just feel like it's not Mm -hmm. time to leave yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we can talk about your PhD. Sorry. (laughs) Um, No, it was a great, yeah, it was a great question because that same, um, the same evolution kind of happened in bringing me to the PhD where during my time here um, just became really passionate about multi-ethnic church Mm -hmm. and multicultural worship and really multicultural community. Mm -hmm. I, um, I think just because of how I was, 
you know, how I moved around and how I had to learn to fit in. I spent a lot of time uh, in my 20s, in my teens, in my 20s, just trying to fit in, you know, uh-huh. just trying to learn the culture, you know, in India, relearn the language, learn the sports, learn how to fit in and how to, you know, um, connect with people. And I think in my 30s, I began to realize, well, you know, I'm not just one thing. I'm made up of these different like cultural experiences. And I think I began to see that in ministry where, you know, someone would, would think I'm good at a certain thing. Um, and I would think, well, that's not really a, a skill. It's just kind of how I was raised in India, you know, <laughs> yeah. like everybody does this over there. So, <laughs> you know, like just yeah. something simple, like the way we um, have conversations um I, this is just a cultural thing that, that I think is hilarious. So when I first came here, my first, one of my first jobs, um, I was in the, I was working with this team and I just, in India, when, um, when you're brainstorming, when you're having a group discussion, uh-huh. there's kind of an order to how it takes place in Eastern culture, I would say broadly, where, the more seasoned, the adults speak first, the elders speak first, and they it kind of goes in an order and they make sure everybody has a voice. Everyone's kind of heard. And um, also when you talk, you typically, if you're younger, especially, you have to make sure you have something worth saying. Oh, you know, yeah. um, we don't really spitball. We kind of wait till we have a formulated thought and mm-hmm. then we present it. And then what I found here in the West in a lot of places is, you know, people just jump in. Right. Mm-hmm. And people just like talk and they say what they think. And both systems are beautiful because like in the West we're what I realized is in the West, we're actually creating together. Whereas in these, sometimes it's not as possible because we're all kind of waiting to have a defined thought in our mind before we speak it you know? Mm, and so yeah. it's, it, you can't create in the same way. The flip side mm-hmm. is that in these, typically most people get heard. Whereas I realized and these are broad, like these are general yes, statements, yes. right? Like this isn't, this is just something I've experienced. I wouldn't say this is for every single situation, but um, in the West, like in my experience, like I would go like a month without saying anything in a meeting. <laughs> Cause oh, no, wow. Cause like no one would ever ask me what I thought. <laughs> and oh, wow. I was waiting to be asked. I was waiting to be invited into that. And um, because I felt, I mean, I was the youngest person on that team, I think. And I thought everybody knew what they were talking about because they spoke in a way that implied that they really knew what they were talking about, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and so like, those kind of things, those cultural differences, like they, I think they helped me as a pastor to be a good listener, you know, to give, to help people find voice and bring that out. I became really passionate working with uh, college students and especially internationals who come in and try to help them understand like, Hey, you have a place here. Don't Mm -hmm. just, don't just blend in. Mm-hmm. be distinct because your experiences, your culture, it's going to help shape your campus. It's going to help shape um, the lives of the people around you. If you're willing to give yourself, you know, and the mm-hmm. same thing with church. I've, I've just found that, especially 
I would say, especially with immigrants, but this is all people we want. We want to be seen. We just don't want to be exposed. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. We, yeah. And I think it's a really important distinction. Like everybody wants to be seen. Everybody has got something that um, God's put in them. We're all image bearers, right? We all carry, we're reflections of his glory. God's put something in us that's worth sharing. We just don't want, we just want it to do it on our terms. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to that question of like that idea of invitation. God invites us into those things. You know, he doesn't expose us. He doesn't just tell us to go do something. He, he invites us. He like walks with us. He births it in us. He journeys through it with us. And we are transformed through that process, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, that was kind of like all of those thoughts got me really passionate about just how different ethnicities, different people from different cultures come together and do community, real community, not just, hey, we all show up and we do our thing and um, it's just the dominant culture that we all submit to, but where we make space for other cultures and make space for other people. You know, what is multi-ethnic or multi cultural because it's more than just ethnicity it's age it's you know gender it's all these different levels of diversity right like how do we create a culture that's open to all of it because that's what the church is supposed to be that's what the church is supposed to look Mm -hmm. like and it comes back the idea of just like safe space like it was that for me and i want that for other people and so that's where i started thinking about well I need to go to school to learn because this is just, these are all thoughts in my head. I need some tools. I need some skills to, uh, to understand this better. What's the anthropology? Like what are the systems that are taking place? What is the biblical, like the theological foundation for this? Is it really worth doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm looking at the U S and looking at the immigration patterns and how, like the demographics of the country are changing. It's in our our movement, the Vineyard, which I love, and I love that we're really focusing on diversity. But I was I'm looking around at our churches and and noticing, man, we just lack tools. Mm-hmm. We we just this is hard. Like for mm-hmm. for culturally competent people, this is hard. How can we just put this on pastors and say, okay, now go be diverse. You know, right? Yeah, like, yeah. How do you do that? Right, and uh, so that that was kind of where all all of that, and I and I will say the third part, and this is probably the closest to home, is like I had daughters, you know, and uh-huh. as I see them grow up, and I see them grow up in Kentucky, and they are beautiful, beautiful uh-huh. ladies. Like I want them to fully operate in their in their heritage. I want them to know that it's beautiful, that it's a value. I want them to appreciate their skin color, you know, Mm -hmm. and know like that is something like they are beautiful because they are Brown, you know, Mm -hmm. like we take them, we try to take them every so often, every couple of years with each kid really to India and China because they get immersion experiences, right? And they like go live with their grandparents and eat the food and play with kids who are Indian and Chinese, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I want them to like bring all that into their person and know like, whoa, I'm like, I am diverse and I can share that with people and I can choose like the good parts of these cultures and I can have an open mind towards other people who are different, you know? Yeah. And so all of that together, I was like, I need to go to school. 
and just learn <laughs> again. Yeah. 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 No, I love that. I love how, like you were talking about each step of your invitation, mm-hmm. you just kept saying yes and kind of doing the next mm-hmm. right thing that was in front of you. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, God just kept leading you. Mm-hmm. Onto mm-hmm. the next, onto the next thing, and you're really happy about it. You know? <laughs> you know, I am. I am. It's school is so much fun. I mean, I'm so. I feel so out. Often, I feel so out of my depth. You know, like mm, I'm surrounded yeah. by brilliant people. Like our professors are just incredible individuals, right? Like in the intercultural department, um, we have. You just had Dr. Okison come on and and talk yes. about um public theology right like mm-hmm. there's so much wisdom there and so and even just the people I'm in in my cohort the group I came in with we have maybe three four different nationalities represented mm-hmm. it's incredible just like learning from them and seeing how smart they are I'm always like man god what what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we're really glad you're here, Rondo, on oh. the podcast and as part of the PhD program, too. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, as you, you're, because you're the associate pastor at mm-hmm. GCF, mm-hmm. and then are you also the worship leader? Am I understanding yes. that right? Yes. Okay. So those two roles, I don't know a whole lot of people who have those two roles. Most people I know are either associate pastor or worship mm-hmm. leader. How mm-hmm. do those two roles work together? Well, um, you know, that's kind of how, when I felt invited to stay here, mm-hmm. I felt like God was saying, you need to help pastor these people. You know, I was already leading worship and everything about in my in my MDiv, I did the academic track in worship and everything was mm-hmm. the theology and understanding how we do this and how we do it corporately and all of that. And I realized a big part of that, if we want to have the experience in our worship gatherings um, that we had in seminary, <laughs> that mm-hmm. um, where we expect the Holy Spirit to move in our gatherings, where we expect to encounter God, uh, which is why we gather, because God calls us as a people, because he wants to fill us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a, I love the the imagery in 2 Corinthians um, 3.16, where it's talking about Moses and the veil. And then it's this passage everyone has probably heard before. You know, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, right? Mm-hmm. And now where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplating God's glory are being transformed into his image from one glory to the next. And this idea, like as we come before God, we are transformed. He's making mm-hmm. us individually and corporately into his image. And, and it's, it's just an incredible thing that can only happen through the Holy spirit. However, as I, began processing that and thinking about that, it really does, um, the spiritual maturity of the body really does inform worship. In some Mm. sense, our um, gatherings, our corporate gatherings are barometers for like (laughs) how connected we are to God. You know, because if you get a group of people and the first, the last time they thought of God was last week, well, they come in at a certain level, fully distracted. And it, like the whole goal is just to move them to this point of intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. But 
if you have a group of people who are walking with the Lord daily, growing and experiencing his presence and his leading, his guiding in their own lives, participating in his works through the week. Well, when they come together to worship, there's a completely different, um, different environment. Yeah, you know? for sure. Like they're, yeah. they're, we're all carrying his presence anyway. They bring that together and it's like, oh, we are here and we are aware and we are ready for this. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's where like discipleship became a passion for me. It's just like, how do we get our people to this point where we, I mean, it really is serving the purpose of worship because in my heart, that's what I love most of all is just those moments where an entire body is just, we're humbled in the presence mm-hmm. of God, yeah. you know, it's open space. And so yeah. go ahead. What does worship mean to you personally and as a worship leader? Well, um, so there's, <laughs> there's, because I guess I'm thinking like in sometimes in my head, I've talked to you about this before. Mm-hmm. So my perspective has changed, but I think uh, previous prior to that conversation, I thought of worship as the singing part mm. of the mm. service. So I, that's what I'm kind of getting mm. at. Yeah. Um, Cause I think it's more than that. 100%. So I think there, are, there's so many definitions for worship. And I think the reason for that is it's really all encompassing. Mm. It takes your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul. It takes everything and so people express it in different ways. Um, but I would just, to make a simple definition or simple idea even, I would say worship is our natural response to who God is. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, if he is God in the truest sense, if he is the infinite being, the infinite spirit that is creator of all things, the one who creates out of nothing, you know, the only one who creates out of nothing. Just think about that. Everybody, everything mm-hmm. else is manipulated in some sense, right? Mm-hmm. God creates out of nothing. He speaks into existence what, do, what doesn't exist. Um, mm-hmm. If that is the God we are coming before, what should be our response? It's worship. Wow, yeah. Right? Yeah, And yeah, so, definitely. So four things happen in worship. Um and you find this in different passages in scripture. The Isaiah 6 model is, or passage is where it's like clearly articulated. There are these motions where worship is the praise of God. It starts with acknowledging who he is. Worship is the surrender to God. Like in the knowledge of who he is, like we have nothing to give but ourselves because mm-hmm. he's God. Um, it's the transformation in God because when we surrender, like the Holy Spirit changes us. He fills us. He, I mean, there's the word as Wesleyans know, sanctification, right? We are being mm-hmm. transformed yeah. into his image. And then finally, it's the participation with God because from that, and that's where the invitation comes in, like God invites us to participate in what he's doing, his mission to the world, the Monsieur they, right? Like it's his Uh mission to the world that we participate in, his kingdom lifestyle where things are in right relationship with him. That kingdom that he's birthing on earth is what we get to participate in and extend with him, not just for him, it's with him because it's empowered by his Holy Spirit. So worship is all of that. It's Uh both 
deeply personal, but also 100% corporate, right? Both have to happen. Like these rhythms have to happen simultaneously of like, we have to be living a life of worship, a life of surrender to God. And I just to ground it in scripture, um, yeah, Isaiah, Isaiah six has does such a great job of like showing how these mo- how these motions go. You know, Isaiah coming into the presence of God, he sees the seraphim singing, "Holy, holy is the Lord; the whole earth is full of His glory." It's that first like it's got to start with acknowledging who God is. We cannot worship or ascribe worth to something if we don't acknowledge who He is. You know, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. it moves like His immediate response is, "Oh gosh." Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips, right? I'm ruined is what he says. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Um, and the next step, the seraph, seraphim come and um, take a coal and touch his lips. And it's a symbol of purification. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this surrender leads to transformation. And then he's free to be in the presence of God. But in the presence of God, um God says, whom shall I send? And he says, send me, right? It's like that idea of invitation. He's not saying go. He's saying, whom shall I send? And Isaiah now is like, send me. I am in. I am in what you're doing, (laughs) you know? And so like, that's the, the participation. And when we gather, and first of all, you see this in a number of different accounts. Like for example, the Lord's prayer is the same way. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done is acknowledgement, right? It's praise, mm-hmm. acknowledgement of who God is. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, this idea of surrender, transformation. God is feeding us. God is providing for us as we mm-hmm. participate. And then lead us not to temptation. Forgive, you know, lead us not to temptation. What is the But love? deliver us from evil. Thank yeah, you. but deliver us from evil. Yeah. Us, <laughs> is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. This participation, right? Yeah. So you see this model and just that's what it looks like to walk with God. That's what it looks like to worship. And we view the whole worship service. When we come together from start to finish, we want to walk through those steps. So we acknowledge God with our singing. We begin mm. with praise. It moves to uh, surrender. We always have space in our worship where we sing about the cross. We speak of or read scripture about the cross and have a point in the music where we just like, we're going to open this up for you to have a time to just respond to whatever the Holy spirit is putting on your heart, you know? Uh-huh. And that's a, like often what we'll do is, or what a lot of people will do. And I think is something where we get in trouble is we start with us. We start with songs like, Oh God, I'm doing this for you. God, I'm surrendering myself. And it's like, well, if we start by focusing on us, we're never going to get past us. You yeah. know, it's a, one of my favorite worship leaders, uh, is, um, Matt, uh, I want to say Redmond, but it's not Matt Marr. And uh, okay. I was watching, yeah, he's, he's great. And I was watching what, uh, a, a video of him leading at this conference. And he said, you know, it's like midway through the set. He's like, you know, if you're, if you're here, you're sitting here, you're just like, you're unable to like join in. You're unable to connect. You feel like. I don't know. You just, you can't, you're just dealing with your stuff. He says, you know, my advice to you is build a bridge and get over yourself and just focus on God. Oh, wow. 
you know? That's a good word. Right? I mean, yeah. and he said it in a way that was so kind and inviting. Like he was- Of course, right? of course. But it's this idea like, hey, let's get over ourselves for a minute, focus on God and allow him to invite us into this, right? Yeah. And so, because it is leading to intimacy. Like when you talk about surrender, transformation, participation, that's intimacy with God. And that's where mm-hmm. we're going. But we can't pretend like it happens without doing the work of acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's yeah. for every relationship. Yeah. And so it starts with praise. We sing, we have open space for repentance, for surrender. And, you know, that's that idea of God forming us in his image individually. Then, and I always see like the singing as setting the table for the corporate word. You know, the mm-hmm. preaching is God having this word for all of us that is shaping us corporately. And that's why when we sing, when we preach, we've got to be preaching and singing the gospel. We're preaching Christ Mm -hmm. over these people. Like when we're singing, we are singing Christ, you know, his story, his mission is like the fullness of who he is, is available as we acknowledge it in in the room. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. like the preaching is the same, like it's forming us corporately into his body. The send the song after that is a song to respond. And in church, in modern church, there's often a trend of like, try to create sermons that grab people's attention mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, you know, let me, that was, that was a good word. I'm going to go home and think about it. Mm-hmm. And we try to push a little bit further than that and say, there's this one main point, right? That like, this is what we feel like God is saying to our body. Let's recognize it and let's respond mm-hmm. to it. Let's deal with God in his presence, you know? And then we have yeah. an addiction where it's like, okay, now let's go and participate. It's ascending. It's not a closing of the service, but it's ascending to go out into the world and be active participants in his kingdom. You yeah. know? And so yeah. there's this cycle of praise, surrender, transformation, participation. And it's a cycle because like, I mean, when you participate with God, and you feel his presence and you step out and you take, you know, risks for him, but also just in daily living, you commune with him. It'll lead you back into worship. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. How do you create a worship service that doesn't target just one type of person, but Mm -hmm. reflects the global church? Well, so that is both... That's a great question. <laughs> Thank you. Great question. Um, you know, I think we, that's why models are helpful mm-hmm. because we don't, if you have a good model, you don't cater to one type of person. There's a, there's a structure and then you begin to incorporate elements from different culture, right? Like the, the model or the structure is scaffolding. Oh, yeah. Right. And so then when we're talking about praise, then we look at how to praise in different contexts. You know, I, Mm -hmm. you know, you want (laughs) something simple. Like I'm not, I'd like to say I'm not from here, but I am. I've lived here a long time. (laughs) But, you know, our mission at our church is inviting people to life in the kingdom. And a couple of years ago, we were like, well, if we're in Kentucky trying to invite locals, like we need to put some country in our worship. You know, yeah. We need to put yeah. Some banjo, oh, yeah. You know, put some banjo in our worship, uh, some violin. Like, start um, singing songs that are a little, you know. And it, of course, like you cannot be all things to all people. So that's why right. I I love to empower people. Like that is my passion. I think it's my 
gift as a pastor to like help people use their gifts. And so I'm mm-hmm. looking for some like, can you sing gospel? Please come. Let, let's get you on the team and let's have you lead gospel because I'll sing it. But <laughs> but I can't sing it like you, you know, mm-hmm. like it's moving in you. And that's what we have to share. Like as worship leaders, um, we are sharing something that's that already exists in us. You know, mm-hmm. like when we lead, yeah. uh, like we're, that's not the first time we're doing it. We're taking people into intimate moments we've already had with God, mm. you know, like we, yeah. otherwise, how would you lead? You can't lead someone right. to a place you've never been. But right. like when you, when you see a worship leader who steps in, like creates an intimate moment and they invite you into it, you know, it's because they've been there before. Right. And because your spiritual journey mm-hmm. gets reflected in the work that you're doing. 100%. That's a that's a, such a great way of saying it. Well, it's, I can't take credit for it. I was talking about it with a podcast that's going to release a couple uh, weeks before yours with Sandra McCracken. Okay. And we were okay. talking about that same thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, yeah, that applies too. That's awesome. 100%. Oh, so... Yeah. Um, when we're looking at being global, we're looking at being multi-ethnic, um, multicultural even, we have a rule, like we try to have, and this is not mine, a great worship leader um, named Carrie Doral told me this. He was like, I have a rule of thirds. You do six songs, two songs are new, two songs are like modern, like in the last five years. And then two uh-huh. songs have to be stuff that people have like if they grew up in church they know like amazing mm-hmm. greats you know and so yeah, yeah, yeah i've yeah. kind of fashioned it ours our um set construction in a similar way and just said all right we need one song in a set that like it's a hymn just for all the people who love hymns you know mm-hmm. or if it's not a hymn it's something like old enough to be a hymn you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> purify yeah. my heart uh holy holy like People will put up with 20 minutes of rock if they know they're going to get one hymn. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But that's like, okay, that's the generational side. Then we look at like the ethnic. Can we do a gospel song? Can we do a country song? Can we do a modern worship? And modern worship is like the overarching theme. Like everybody knows it, especially in this, in this last decade where yeah. it's so freely available. Like I remember growing up in India, my dad would bring back – a wow cd do you remember those like yes so like you had the wow christian uh, christian singles and the wow worship cd and so he'd bring Mm -hmm. back one of each and that's all like basically what worship i got for a number of years growing up and so now like hillsong like you have these major churches yeah, that sure. are producing albums every year. And it's be- I think it's awesome because it's an original sound coming from them, from what God's doing in those communities, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you have like so much indie stuff going on. Everybody's doing their own thing and we can share all that. There's so much of it available. So there's a baseline from which we can, everybody can connect, but then we try to like add these different elements Um Languages is something we, we, something we did, which I, I just really enjoyed. We, uh, we picked, we sang a song, the chorus, God is so good. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows it. Yeah. And so we yeah. just kind of tagged it on to a song, like a song that was, I mean, this is insider 
um, <laughs> baseball here. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I love it. But it's like, you know, you pick a song and when you're trying to do something different, you tag it onto something that you know works, you know? Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. we sing a song we know everybody loves. We know everyone's going to be 100% into. And that's what, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're pastoring, if you're not just like leading, but actually trying to lead a specific group of people, you know what works for those people, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like you pick something that does, and then we just added this chorus on and everybody sang it because everybody has heard it. And then, uh, yeah. you know, and then I said, you know, there's some truths about God that are so special, so important to us that it makes its way around the world. Mm, this is a mm-hmm. song that has made its way across the globe. And mm-hmm. so we are going to recognize and celebrate our diversity, that the kingdom of God is diverse by singing it in different languages. And I just kind of quoted the Revelation passage, you know, every tribe and tongue before the Lord singing. It doesn't say singing in English, right? Like, mm-hmm. so they're sing- no, it doesn't. They're say- it says what they're singing and everybody knows and everybody's singing the same thing. But um, if it's if they're going out of their way to recognize that it's every tribe and tongue, it's probably happening in different tongues. Yeah, and so, definitely. And so we're like, we're just going to celebrate that. So I sing, I'm going to sing it in Hindi. And we had someone who sang it in Portuguese and someone who sang it in Spanish. I said, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I just said, listen, we're while, I, while we sing it in these different languages, the words will be on the screen in those languages. You are welcome to try to sing along. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to, you're welcome to sing in English. The words are, God is so good. Right. right. <laughs> or yeah. you're welcome just to bask in the glory that is God's beauty and diversity, yeah. you know? And so yeah. we sang it and then I just, it came to me in the moment. I was like, Hey, you know, maybe, you know, a language where, uh, where you could sing this, we're going to do it one more time and you can sing it in whatever language you want. And mm. I didn't even realize the diversity in our congregation, but you know, we have people from Africa, people from China and Korea. We like we sang it in so many different languages, and it kind of revealed to us, wow, we have this diversity in the body. People are coming up afterwards saying, oh, it was so amazing to hear it in this language. Even people from the States who had been on a missions trip and learned it in, you know some African language, you know, or Norwegian. Like it was just, just, wow, God is moving across the globe. And we were just suddenly made aware of it by this simple act, you know? Yeah. Don't you love that? Oh, I, it was the best. It was just incredible. And that's, so that's what, when I think about how to build something that represents global, like represents the kingdom, yeah. That's what we do. You don't force yeah. it, but you slowly open yourself up to it. Yeah, you invite that it's there. it. Yeah. 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 So as you're you're inviting the congregation into this experience, you're also leading the band at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine it's pre- could be pretty easy to get focused on uh, getting the right notes, which are super mm-hmm. important, and getting mm-hmm. staying on rhythm, mm-hmm. and there is an element of performance mm-hmm. to it all. But how do you, how do you kind of make it a an offering of praise, even as you lead, so that it doesn't totally become about y'all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, so for us, we have a mission statement that we reiterate all the time. 
Cool. Um, it's and it's helping people encounter God. Yeah. And people, wow. when they join our worship team, we have a mission statement, principles, and values that I share with them, and just say, "Hey, this is what you're signing up for." Like. It's kind of like the army. You can come for any reason you want. Like <laughs> <laughs> This is what you're going to do when you right, get here. <laughs> right. You know, and people understand like our principles are like we lead by worshiping. If you're on stage, mm-hmm. you've got to be worshiping. It doesn't mean you have to be super expressive because people worship in different ways. And like, I want to acknowledge mm-hmm. all of them. So I'm mm-hmm. very cool with like a somber bass player, right? Who's, like, <laughs> you know, we're notorious for, I'm a bass player, so I can make fun of us. But like, okay, yeah. we're notorious for like, the only thing moving is our fingers. Like <laughs> our face. Yeah, that's is, what you do. That's right. Our <laughs> face is not aware that we're playing anything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were, we lead by worshiping. We worship together because we're a team like representing the body. Like our bands, um, and different churches of different sizes have different like visions of this. And I, I, I'm fully aware of that, but for, for us, we want like our band to represent the body because this is just an offering, right? Like mm-hmm. what we're doing here when we gather is not performing for people. We are using our gifts of which there are many, but in our gathering music helps us come together. So we're using our gift to help us mm-hmm. all be a corporate offering. So it's not something we're mm-hmm. doing for the church. We're doing, it's something we're doing with them. So we lead together and then we lead with excellence. Like if we're, if we are messing up, it's going to be distracting problem. Mm-hmm. And I find it's more distracting for the artists and the musicians than, you know, the people in, yeah. in the ch- congregation because a lot of times they don't hear it but we hear it you know right um, the, and you all have a trained ear that's for it. right and it's dissonant and that's taken away and so you know we we make an effort to prepare both spiritual well spiritually emotionally and musically right mm-hmm. and so we what we do is we have a team night once a month we haven't since covid because yeah, we, that we made can't everything really gather harder. right but it's kind of like our catch-all it's our training area because we want youth on our team we want you know multiple generations on our team and so like if you're interested in worship first you come to a team night and you just mm-hmm. hang out with the band we we gather we hang out we eat you know um and then i'll always like say a little bit about worship, talk about one of our values, and then um, we'll worship for probably 45 minutes. And I print chord sheets for everybody. And so you can show up and it doesn't matter how good you are and just play along. Wow. And it's this opportunity. And I tell people like, if you're a singer, hey, you've got to sing all three parts because otherwise if you're only able to sing melody, um, well, that means somebody yeah. else has to sing harmony all the time. That's not, yeah. you know, you're not able to share. And so you're going to learn harmony. Go stand next to this person who's singing harmony and learn, you know, uh-huh. if you're musical, like it'll come. And um, the same thing with guitarists or we have drummers who will like bring a cajon and just play, sit next to that person and play what that person is playing. Don't play what you yeah. want. Play what that person is playing. <laughs> Right, but it's like low pressure. Mm-hmm, 100%. The invitation is for everyone. And so it's kind of like where what I say is we're building community and culture here. Mm-hmm. And we want people to get comfortable with themselves as musicians. We want them to get comfortable with themselves as worshipers. And that's when they're ready to be on stage and lead other people in that. 
you know, mm-hmm. where they're not trying to draw from the people. Cause often like it's so vulnerable to put yourself out there as a musician, as a preacher, yeah. as anyone doing anything on stage, it's incredibly vulnerable. And it's yeah. very easy to try to get affirmation from the people you're in front of. But like the action is actually moving towards God. Like we're not supposed mm-hmm. to be trying to draw something from the people. We're pointing some, pointing the people to someone. And so like this mm-hmm. idea of just getting comfortable before you're up there as much as you can be, it's 100% a learning curve. So you're never going to be comfortable till you do it. But as much as you can be, right. like you know what it should be. And then you get in front of people and then you work on getting to that place of yeah intimacy for you. Yeah, so that, definitely. Yeah, that's how I think we we prepare as a band for that to lead together. Yeah. That's beautiful. I really love that. Um we've talked about a lot of things today, Ronjo, and I've enjoyed all of it. Before we have one question we ask everyone before I ask it, is there mm-hmm. anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about already? No, this has been so much fun. We've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> haven't we? I've loved it. (laughs) So here's the question that we ask everyone. Because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? I like how that just assumes that the people you interview are thriving in their lives right now. I'm just joking. I'm sorry. I hope so. Uh, I hope we're all thriving. I mean, no, I mean, I hope so. I mean, sometimes, especially during this the season of COVID that we're in, I haven't always felt like I'm thriving, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping that other people are. Right. That's a great word. Thanks for that. You know, for yeah. me, I would say um, in this season where we've had so much transition, it's been so busy for me, especially starting school and working full time. Um, mm-hmm. Spending time with my family has been something that um, has just helped me thrive. It's like fueled me, you know? I I try to study in the mornings and my kids got up early. So they're they're all up at 6.30 with me. (laughs) There was that. Like, I'm supposed to be studying right now. And I thought, you know, there will be times when, you know, it's going to be busy enough that I don't have time for this. Today I do. And mm-hmm. I'm going to take it. I'm just going to like make breakfast yeah. and do our devotions yeah. together. And it's been yeah. such a gift through COVID to just have, make time to spend with my family. Yeah, that's a good word. Because even in this time, I mean, everybody's time has been different mm-hmm. and working from home and whatnot. But it's still easy to fall into the, at least it has been for me, to fall into the rut of, okay, I'm working from home. Mm-hmm. That means I'm super focused, which is what mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be. But n- not necessarily, it can still be just as hectic as if, mm-hmm. you know, as if we were pre-COVID in March of last year, you know, that you're like, I'm doing and this, more. this, and this. Yeah. But taking, giving yourself permission to pause. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and more. Because I think the expectations got higher not yes. lower yes yeah i think we all realized we could be more productive <laughs> right right yes and then we looked at instagram at least i did and i was like oh you're baking bread oh i have to do all this and figure out how to bake bread too okay <laughs> right right <laughs> you know just stuff like that so 
I really appreciate the word of like just pausing and being like, yes, mm-hmm. I, I have time to do the things that actually matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again, Ronjo. I, I have just enjoyed our conversation. I feel like we could keep talking for another hour and not even know it. So I really appreciate your time. <laughs> Absolutely. You're such a great interviewer. You, thank you for leading me through that. That was, that was just a blast. I hope, I hope it helps people. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I have no doubt. I feel like if I enjoyed it, and I thoroughly did, that there is no way that people listening could not. So, thank you. Sure thing. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Ronjo. Isn't he just the best, you guys? He truly has a pastor's heart, and I left today's conversation feeling so encouraged and uplifted. I hope you did the same. So if you see Ronjo or know him or just like what you heard, be sure to tell him thanks for being on the show. As always, you can follow Asbury Seminary in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, Go do something that helps you thrive.